Well, I want to get into uh, the message tonight. And, uh, you know, we're on such a great rotation. I was talking to some of our viewers today. And I think there's seven or eight people we could have on rotation at any given time on Wednesday nights right now and possibly more. Uh, when Chris and Amber Moore move here, Chris will want to get in that rotation. We're blessed, and that's awesome. So um, I'm not trying to get out of responsibility of preaching. I really do like to preach. Uh, but I love the fact that we have, uh, if we could be known for anything, I've said this before, I would love to be known for the fact that uh, God is using this place to crank out ministers of gospel. Amen? To produce them. Well, Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn there. I don't always read long texts getting into the message as the intro, but I do want to read this in a moment. I I want to set this up a little bit. Anybody remember the TV show Fear Factor that used to be on? Fear Factor. Everybody here? Even Ken's phone spoke up. Some of you didn't speak up, and Ken's phone spoke up for him. It was the Bible spoke up. Um, Yeah, like, you know, you get put in a box with all the cockroaches climbing over. They get a lady that doesn't like cockroaches, and... And fear factor. It was to, it was really confront your fears. That's what I like about it. I like the I like the idea of confronting your fears. But we as a household, I'm going to in, intro this basically by saying every time this this time of year, Halloween, uh, I end up in a discussion with someone about Halloween. Are you guys doing a harvest festival? Are you doing anything in place of Halloween? And I'm a believer in the fact that this church is not about me. Really, I'm the guy that just takes the fall for when things go wrong, really. Um, you know, shepherding is, is kind of just making, keeping the danger away, really. But the body is the one that, you know, the, the flock is one that thrives and walks life. And uh, I, I hope to get in on that with you. Um, but we have people with varying, varying beliefs on the innocence of or how okay Halloween is and all that. And uh, I won't go through the whole story. Some of you have heard it. But, you know, I won a citywide contest for a Halloween costume when I was a kid. My mom made paper mache or no, is that what it is when you put the balloons in it and the glue and the paper? Right. I was E.T. And I had this head that was this big that fit on my head and it was hard. And there's two little holes. It's like looking down a tunnel through two little quarter size holes. And I had paper wrapped around me, spray painted gold. And I had to walk the city streets in line. My mom had to walk with me because I could see where I was going. And it was really like I walked like AT because that's about all I could do, you know, if you've seen that movie. And at the end of it, they were, had the local paper there, whatever news media you have in a town of 6,000, Lexington, Nebraska. But they had them. And we walked up on the city steps. And apparently the winner they put in the middle. And everybody was taking pictures and all. And I had no clue what was going on. All I knew, we stopped walking. I went up some steps. And I had won. And I'm standing there, everybody gets quiet, and I'm like, who won? Really loud. Everybody cackled, and, you know. And so we all have different memories of, of things we grew up with, traditions, you know. Some on Christmas. I remember when I was at one church, there's someone who felt like Christmas trees were evil, and if a Christmas tree came in the church, that was it. They were done. And some feel differently about different things. Um, and so I don't try to lead by... Uh, I try to lead by example, but I don't try to lead on some things I feel like people have to work out bet- between them and the Lord and say, we're, none of us are doing this. But I don't plan harvest festivals, and here's why. And my boys weren't prepared for this, and so I don't even know if they're going to want to say anything. But I asked them if they did right during worship because I just felt like, because we made a decision as a family that we weren't celebrating Halloween or doing anything in place of. We decided we don't want a cake from somebody with pumpkins on it. We don't want to... Uh, scarecrow on our porch we don't want any of that 
And, and here's why. When my boys were barely old enough to talk, we were at Walmart in Jane, Missouri. And we were walking a shop, and I'm sure Jen will know exactly what I'm talking about, because this is really the pivotal moment for us, because I grew up where Halloween was just kind of fun, and you dress up with Bible characters, you have Harvest Festival, that. And we were close to the Halloween Isle, and a boy that was about 10 years old, and I think the boys must have been two to four, two to three, somewhere around there. And they just sweethearts. <laughs> they were just, they're still sweethearts, but they were really sweethearts then. And we turned the corner, and this 10-year-old boy, 10, 12-year-old boy, jumps out with this horrible demonic-looking mask. And I mean, you could see the blood drain from their face, and they stood there petrified. And then we dealt with the dreams and the screams and things like that at night from it. We also had cable. The reason we haven't had cable or satellite TV for since they were two is because one time during a Saturday morning kids show, the, the commercial, I hear this screaming. I walk in and there's a horror movie where somebody's been drugged off by something evil and they're staying there petrified. And again, the dreams. And we just, this is what the Lord started speaking to me is he's not giving us a spirit of fear. And so in our house, we don't entertain ourselves with fear. I don't allow my kids to jump out. They get in trouble for jumping out and scaring each other. And some people think that's a extreme. But I don't, I don't allow that in my home. I don't really want our youth, you know, if they're playing with the kids, I don't want them doing that with them. And it's because we have to undo those things when we go home. Now, I don't expect anybody else in their homes to feel the same way strongly. It's just like Samson and Nazarite vow. Sometimes God puts something on your heart special for a reason, and you follow through with that kind of tenacity because that's what God spoke to you. So I respect other people's. We've had people in the church before, they full out blown the Halloween thing's a big deal to them. But for us, we just felt like, we don't want to celebrate fear in any way. Now, fear factor, what I start out with, to me it's a little different because it's not entertaining yourself with fear. It's really people confronting the fears. And I wasn't big on the show, so I'm not defending the show. But there is a difference between confronting fears, standing strong against fear, and using it for entertainment. Boys, did you want either one of you want to say anything about it? You do? Okay, come on up, Kayla. I guess I don't like it because. Mm. I guess it's just kind of creepy. Anyway. I think it's just another uh, thing that people have created to scare, and um, then they throw in like the candy to make it seem all har harmless, and then um, kind of. They uh, tried to get people to think about it. It's just an another lie of the devil. So that was an interesting dynamic because when I asked them during worship, Caleb was like, sure, I'd say something. Colt was like, I don't know what I'd say. And uh, But I appreciate that, boys. We, made it, we make decisions like that as a family, so you know. I mean, listen, there's times I'm like, I'm dad. I said so. This is how it is. And there's times I said, boys, this is what the Lord said to my heart. And I talked to our kids. We all decided as a family. And we decided that as a family. But I want to I want to talk about fear tonight. In Ephesians 4, living as children of light. Here, here's the things that, that I, I, I'm concerned about, about the, the, the move of the culture and what Halloween has become. It's really a celebration of darkness, of evil. Uh, the projection is, is the, the, the more gore, the more death, the more glorifying that, the better. And so... It says in, in verse, starting in verse 17 of Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do 
in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you've heard him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. I want to stop there for a moment, and I want to draw a correlation for you for a moment between where we are at in our personal beliefs and stance on Halloween. Um, I've watched as people will, of God, will get all up in arms about people protesting things that they don't agree with. Okay, so if you got a left wing, right wing situation and the left wing's protesting something that has to do with conservative and we get all up in arms. We will get upset about people taking a knee during the na- national anthem because this is our country and, and I understand I'm a patriot. But listen, uh, you'll find that a lot of military folks that are serving now really believe that I am fighting for that right for them to do that. Not so much that some, uh, yeah, there's an offense to it, but... The truth is you're signing up to defend the freedoms of, of the people. So, um, you know, we get up on all in arms of that. Now, we know what the word says. We're an alien passing through, right? You've heard me say this a lot of times, and, and I understand I'm a patriot, but my first, my first patriotism is to the kingdom of God. So I'm alienly passing through. Now, we get up in arms of that, but I have also seen where I have a conviction about the thing with Halloween, and I, we don't even do a harvest thing. We don't do that. And get challenged on that by a believer because, see, it's, it's these things that we, we have that are kind of our, our, our special moments, our spots that we treasure because of a good memory when kids. And so we'll defend them to the end without really looking at it from the standpoint of God's word and saying, why, why am I defending this? Why am I so certain that I need this? Right, Robin? Why, why is it that I feel that I have to have this for my kids? And I hear the things, well, I don't want my kid to feel ostracized from the rest of the kids for not doing that. But let me tell you, whose honor are you really shooting for? God's honor, if he's spoken to your heart not to do something and teach your kids in that, or are you trying to just make sure they don't miss out of anything in the world? See, I'm not trying to preach legalism. What I'm saying is it's the listening of the heart. Every time I talk about this, someone, someone and. Listen, it's not always a scowl in the service or something or the walkway and maybe they'll bottle it up, but someone will feel like I'm stepping on their toes because they've got their big Halloween party planned. I'm going to tell you in all honesty, if I hear that, it's not a thing for me because that is between you and the Lord. It's really not. But the reason I feel strongly about bringing this up is because we as a church have to determine what we do and project to the community. Like recently, a fraternal order of police came and said, hey, can we use your parking lot at your new place because we do trunk or treat up in the fields? I said, no problem. My first reaction was, you know, but no problem because my goal is to reach out to those. We cannot set up a roadblock between those who don't believe either in those convictions. It's different between me going out there and dressing like a, a goblin and having like candy and saying, sure, you can use our, our parking lot. Because we want, we want the community, because we want to be a, a beacon light. We want to be able to make people comfortable coming to, our, uh, uh, to our, our church grounds. But on the same turn of events, it, it would be the same 
this is, this is what I'm going to tell you. If you have a certain hang-up that God has given you about something like that, um, let's say it's Easter or let's say it's something else, and you stand so strong that you are rejecting people and relationships over it, that then there's a problem. Because God did not call us to put up a barrier between us and the unsaved. In fact, uh, you know, Zacchaeus went to his house. Uh, the, the prostitutes, he would, he would converse with them and he, would, he wouldn't do what they're doing. He would just reach out to them in love. And so when we talk about the subject of fear and we talk about um, you know, a personal conviction like we have in our house that we don't entertain ourselves with fear, we don't watch scary movies, we don't, we don't do anything like that. We don't allow fear in our home because we want to, what we are looking for is to be more than conquerors in Jesus. We don't need to try to test, you know, uh, our, our fears. So, verse 23, to may be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still hungry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. What's an example of that? Someone. What's an example of giving the devil a foothold? Keep in mind the context. We're telling you, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do not express your anger out to your brothers and sisters. What? Where's a foothold the devil can get? You have to be loud, Pam. Clear back there. Oh, she holding a grudge, holding a grudge. And Christians, we can be, brothers and sisters, we can be as bad as anyone at that, because we are in the the spot where our vulnerability is how we are changed. How how we accept the gospel is by becoming vulnerable. When we are vulnerable in an environment like this, and we're letting everybody see our vulnerable places. It, it's really hard to not get hurt. Did I say that right? It's really easy to get hurt. It's really easy to get hurt when you are in a spot. You know, as, as a minister of the gospel, as a shepherd, you know, I've said this before, it is a whole different ballgame than your workplace when we come together as a body. And you're like, yeah, I know that because the people I work with, I tell you, it's not like church. No, I'm telling you that relationships are exponentially harder in the body of Christ than they are out in the world. Why? Because of the standards Christ has set for us to live out with together. Those standards are all over the place in your workplace because you're working with unbelievers and other but we come together and we put ourselves in a vulnerable spot and then we have to we have to reflect ourselves against how Christ set the example and when we don't match up to that and then someone else is, feels like the uh, one who activated that failure, you know, sister so and so made me angry i lost it now i look bad like i'm not looking like jesus and so now my now my reaction is to push away like we talked about recently or to express that anger out in the wrong way giving the devil a foothold is when you recognize that there's an attitude contrary to the way christ has called us to be and you have no restraint you choose to not have restraint Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for, helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. 
and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Here's, here's the second. So we, we talked about fear. I want to move to a second topic, and that is painting over old paint. Has anybody ever tried to paint over old paint without scraping off the old? And what do you get? You can still see what was there before, can't you? It may be shinier, right? I've, been, I've watched as Robin's posted her, her pictures of refinishing some furniture, and, and you know, you've got to sometimes get the old off so the new can really look new, right? I mean, I like to see a new coat of paint on something. Um, we bought these warehouse racks, for, so we have stuff to put in our storage at the, at the new church, and so we're out there, and, and they don't have to look pretty. I told the RVers we just put the paint on, but the, the temperature outside, the stuff we're using is starting to goop, you know, and, and we're like, well, uh, okay, so maybe it's not working so good, you know, to put it over the old paint, but... But sometimes we get in a hurry. We just want to try to cover up what was there, right? The problem is in order to have a nice coat of paint, you have to strip off the old. The temptation is to be lazy and just paint over the old without stripping off or sanding it off. And when you paint the new coat on without taking off any of the old, the old paint underneath will begin to chip and peel and push the new paint off. And just like in our spiritual walk, sometimes we try to just cover over the problems with a little bit of Jesus talk. Or cover up the old problems with, with putting on the smile and coming to church and acting like everything's okay when it's not. The problem is the rough stuff that God wanted to strip off and sand off is still there. And sooner or later it's going to be seen. In fact, it tends to push off whatever you try to put on to look like Christ. It tends to push it off and people start to see the real problem at hand. We can come to Christ. Sometimes we just paint a fresh coat over our old selves and call it good. We go to church, sing songs, say God bless you. We think we're righteous. But when someone rubs us the wrong way or says something we don't like, suddenly that new coat of paint comes chipping off. And here's the reality of it. You don't have to do it that way sometimes we keep doing the same things over and over thinking that's just how to deal with things because we never tried to totally let it let God take it and relationships are difficult for us because we keep trying to just brush over the problem I've learned in my own life to sometimes stop and say look if I've had the same problem in my relationships no matter what job I had or what church I'm at or wherever I go this stuff keeps surfacing maybe I need to look at what I'm covering over Maybe I need to look at what the real problem is. I've mentioned several times when I left Bible college and, and some bad stuff had happened, you know, I realized then that I used to always hide what was really going on inside, make everybody think things were fine when they weren't. And that's exactly what opens the door to the double life. I'm looking like the believer when I need it, and I'm acting like the devil when I don't have anybody looking, I think. Paul tells us in the second half of chapter 4 that we need to let Christ sand us way down to bare wood in order to cover us with his way of thinking and acting. I want to quickly, I want to break this up into three sections. Why 
the way of the world doesn't work, what happens to those who think like the world, and why coming to Christ makes us new through and through. Now, why did I start with the fear, and why am I jumping here? Is because, is because many times, just like this month is a celebration of fear, many times it's our fear of change. It's our fear, it's, it's our fear of confronting that fear of change that keeps us doing the same things we've always done. Number one, why the way of the world doesn't work. Verse 17a, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. The Greek word rendered insist or insist means called as a witness. So Paul might be saying, I want to go on record as representative of the Lord. This isn't just idle suggestion or an optional um, route. Many people think that once they become Christians, then pretty much anything goes. There's a big movement of, you know, hyper grace where anything goes because God cannot, you can't be taken from his hand and they take that and they go too far. We got fire insurance. I mean, we're not going to hell. So, you know, pretty much grace covers everything. And then we feel like we got a free ticket to just keep behaving. However, the enemy may prompt us to behave. Someone who knows Jesus will want to become wants us to become like him. Paul shows us how worldly thinking affects us. 17b, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Many Christians are indistinguishable from those in the world around them. I remember when I was in Bible college, there was kind of this movement of guys that were popular that were probably up-and-comers. They could preach good already. They already kind of had the connections that came from a bigger church. And, you know, the rules were you didn't go to movie theaters. And so they'd joke about the fact as soon as they were out. That's back then. You couldn't wear shorts on campus. You couldn't go to movie theaters. It was old school at our Bible college then. But they would go out of town. They'd joke about that. There were some guys that would joke uh, that, that it was known they went out and smoked cigars, which would be a big no-no. No tobacco use. You sign. The problem I saw with that is the fact that it's an integrity issue. You signed when you went there saying you wouldn't do these things. And it was almost like the cool thing to because we've really progressed to where since we have grace and we have Jesus and we're already ministers, then this old school way of thinking doesn't really uh, apply to us. But see, it, it's the, a matter of the heart. What would someone who didn't know you but watched your life and listened to you speak say about you? That's the litmus test. If there's someone in your life who doesn't know Christ and they're watching your life, listening to your speech, watching what you do with your time, watching what you do with your resources, watching everything about you, what would they think of you? Would it point them to Jesus? Now listen, this isn't to be condemnation. I'm just saying, listen, if you are too afraid to ask yourself that question, you've got to confront your fear of that now. Because that's what the Holy Spirit uses to drive us to do the right thing, to say, look, people are watching you. You are to be a light in the darkness, as the Scripture says. Would they suspect that you're a Christian? I remember in junior high, before I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I remember people being shocked that I was even a Christian, let alone a pastor's son. I went to school, you know, with some of them from grade school. Had no clue. Had no clue about my relationship with, with God. Paul says to give up the frutality of their thinking. 
it really means that that fertility of their thinking means empty-headed. See, man makes up all kinds of stuff about himself and about God, and because he he puts it in complicated labels. You know, I've I've joked before about you know all these books out or articles, seven reasons churches churches send people away, why I don't go to church anymore, and all these all these um, church helps. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing with learning. In fact, I hope that's why you're here tonight. But learning without faith is foolishness and empty-headed because it relies on man's wisdom and thinking of God. And that's why when we as a family, we look at, you know, people will, the same people that may brag on how, you know, if the kids are good behaved. Hey, those kids are good behaved. But listen, that's God doing it, but he's using Jen and I to say, look, We've got one shot at this. And, and I see what the world's doing. And I see the effects of when kids are allowed to figure this stuff out all on their own without that guidance, the spiritual guidance. You know, you pick on Halloween or whatever as a family, a culture that you pick. Left to figure out things on their own, things don't end out so well. We've got a responsibility to our family and to others who don't know Isaiah 47.10 says, Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you when you say to yourself, I am, and there is none beside me. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it's his way that we are teaching our family. It's his way that we're trying to project to the world. It's all about Jesus and him and the world seeing Jesus in us and everything we do. We're going to mess up because we're flawed and we're sinful. But is our heart driven for the world to see Jesus in us? We can't get caught up in all these things of the world that, that are cultural things and say, well, listen, it didn't hurt me as a kid, and so my kids will be fine. I turned out pretty good. But are you listening to the Holy Spirit and letting him, you know, all through the Bible is about generations either following Christ or not. When you read through um, judges and kings you'll you'll see i mean talk about some of those kings and this one did evil in the sight of the lord and this one and then you'd have a good one and then their kids wouldn't right it's very important about what is happening generationally and so you cannot take everything that you did when you're younger and because god bless i'm an american and this was as american as uh, apple pie and it didn't hurt us and so we can do it and so whether it's halloween or whether it's whatever it is are you listening to the Lord and let him change the culture around you, in, starting with your family? What we have without God is hardened hearts, leading to ignorance. Darkened in their understanding, it says, is an interesting phrase. Darkened means to obscure. And understanding is a compound word from thinking, as we saw in 17b. And a word that means to, to apply. So when you take a heart that is hard against the Lord, Corinthians 3 says there is a veil over a person's understanding until they come to Christ. And this leads to ignorance. So a person who lets man's wisdom rule, with obscure, uh, rule will be obscured from the proper application of thinking. So when you let your own wisdom rule over what the Holy Spirit is speaking, what God's, God's speaking is, you, you are obscured from the proper application of thinking. That means 
the Holy Spirit's there to illuminate the scripture, help you apply it to your life, and to live it out. But when you set your foot down and say, you know what, this is, I'm going to go on my own on this because it's important to me, and I don't see the harm in it without letting the Holy Spirit speak, you obscure from your vision the way that, that God is wanting you to think. A hard heart, the word means callous. It comes when a person repeatedly rejects the loving invitation of God to accept his son Jesus. I'm reminded of Pharaoh that seven times Pharaoh hardened his heart. Seven times God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You eventually get what you want. When you push back from the Holy Spirit, you eventually get what you want. That's the thing. God's not going to take from you things that you set your heart to because it is a choice. You have free will. So you can continue to set your heart against it. You'll get what you want, but it, it won't be what God had planned for you. John 1 says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Our source of physical life is God, and our source of eternal life is God. The bottom line, if people think that they are, uh, that the, the philosophies, the religions, the gurus, the systems of the world give you enlightenment, clearness of thought, understanding, and most importantly, life, they're badly mistaken. It's always confusing to me, and a lot of times it's baby Christians, when they're looking at their horoscope, right? They're paying attention to horoscopes equal to, or sometimes more so, than they are scripture. Well, I'm a Scorpio, or I'm a, you know, there is only one, one way of, of knowledge and wisdom for your future, and that's through God, because he's the one that holds tomorrow. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Another thing you have to be careful when you're listening to the Holy Spirit about how you should lead your family, how you should live your life, is you can't go off your feelings. We sing a worship song a lot that says, it doesn't matter how I feel, doesn't matter what I see, that my hope will always be your promises to me. It reminds me of what my mom taught me about marriage. I remember my mom saying, it almost crushed me. It was one of those talks I thought, you're not getting ready to tell me you and dad are getting divorced, are you? you know, <laughs> but she said, she, said, um, she said, son, marriage is not about falling in love or falling out of love. Relationships are not about falling in love or falling out of love. If that was the case, me and your dad might have separated a long time ago because there's been some times where I didn't feel like I loved your dad. And I was like, oh, wait, I, I need to sit down. <laughs> It wasn't that talk. She said, she said the marriage commitment, relationships God puts in your life are about commitment. For better, for worse, for richer, poor, sickness and health. And see, that's what dynamically for the younger generation is getting hard because most everything's done off of feelings. How I feel now, what's good for me now, what feels right, not what is actually right or what's best. But it's not just the younger generation. I won't tell you stories, but I can tell you stories where there's people who... Should be my, could be my great-grandparents. I've watched live off of every whim of their feeling. And it just wreaks havoc around them. We have to be people of commitment. And so when it comes to these convictions about whether it's, you know, like I said, Halloween or how you see fear or these things, you know, that's why I say I'm not going to project it on you because you've got to let the Lord work out those convictions for you and your family. But you have to make them based on a commitment to God, not about how you feel. It can't be about touchy-feely. It can't be because, well, Grandma made my first Halloween costume and it was a Bible character and I've been fine since then and I turned out good and my kids... You see what I'm saying? 
Find out what the Lord wants from you and a commitment to Him. And you stick to it with everything you've got in the face of even Christians trying to tell you different. And you stick to what God's told you. It always has to line up with His Word. But when you know that you have the Word of God backing you, and maybe it's a personal conviction, Samson, what is Samson supposed to say to his buddies when he's a kid? Yeah, I can't touch anything dead. Oh, come on, man. You know what? My boys, we have to fight from them wanting to touch dead stuff. We had to teach them. I mean, like, oh, look at this squirrel. Its head's about to come off. Don't touch that. It's got disease. <laughs> look at these bloody feathers found in the yard. When do I eat that? Oh, come on. Go wash your hands. You know, the commitment that, that Samson had, that God, he had the Nazarite vow. You, you try to explain that to your buddies that don't have that, right? That. That's in, in small part how we feel like about Halloween. We feel like we got to explain ourselves and we got to be careful that we don't hurt somebody else's feelings because they got this big thing planned and their kids and they feel like I'm making them feel like less of a Christian. Because, but listen, it's not about how we feel because I love the candy. I don't like the popcorn balls. I don't understand what that is about. Or those wax lips. The wax lips? That's not even candy. That's almost like torture. You just you chew them and chew them and chew them. They never go away, Right? But I like what Colton said because that was totally uncued. He sat and thought about it. He's like, I think the candy is just to soften the fact that it's not good for you, but that's to make you feel like it is. Yeah, anything can get me some candy. <laughs> right? Someone talked about recently that their church that the church they'd gone to, it really bothered them because there's a lot of this huge Easter bunny up on the platform. This huge Easter bunny. And like should be a huge Jesus up there. I'm like, okay, well as soon as you can tell me exactly what he looks like. I'm not talking about Charlton Heston, no, that he was Moses. <laughs> Passion of Christ, no, it's not John Caviezel, whatever. So you can't go by just your feelings. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with continual lust for more. If you go by your feelings, your heart's going to lead you astray. You can't trust your heart. You can't trust your feelings. You can trust the word of God and you can trust the covenant he's made to you and that you've made to him and the commitments and hold to those and say, this is for, as for me and my house, this is what we do. And sometimes you have to let it lie where it lies, right or wrong, this is where we stand. I'm very careful. There's times I've talked to families within our church, and listen, they may raise their kids different. And I have to fight the rebellion anytime Ken's girls, we give them a ride somewhere. I knew they were only allowed to get the kids' size drinks at Sonic. I said, we're going for Sprout 44s. What do you want? Anything. There's just something in you, right? When someone else sets a standard, I know it's, it's kind of funny, but it's true. What is that that happens? Like at that time, we weren't even really blood-related. We'd just been, right? Now we got some Mary Jen and all that. But then I was just like, his girl's with me. They get whatever they want. I don't care. I don't care if I don't have money. I'll, I'll go rob. No, I won't. Because <laughs> I'm just like, why do you do that? You know, and then my kids, I'm going, I'm like, Lord, my boys are 12. If they could just stay 12 long enough to get the kids meal prices for another two, three years, tell we can change the budget, right? It is all about the price when you're the dad and you're probably, it's all about how much it costs, right? They'll, they'll live. They won't need counseling for that. The word sensitivity in verse 19 really means to become apathetic. That in a nutshell, what existential philosophy brings to you, there is no God and nothing but we, 
But, but we see here, uh, so why, why bother? It's, it's the God I can't see. It's the God I can't physically hear many times. I've got the scriptures written by what the world says was written by man 2,000 years ago. I can't see him here, and I've got my own wants and needs and my beliefs, and that is really powerful. If he's not going to speak audibly, then I'll just go with what I feel. Sometimes as Christians, we, we will default to that. Well, he hasn't told me no. I prayed about it, and, and even though I can't afford that uh, new car, he hadn't told me no, so I'm going to get it. Right? <laughs> we basically believe God has to speak audibly when we're being told no about something we really want. The rest of the time we're okay with him just kind of giving us the nudge, right? Man, this is a tough crowd tonight. Maybe, maybe I'm not uh, talking real clear. I don't know. Psalms 42 says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. We humans have a need for God. There's a God-shaped hole in our heart. You've heard that if you've grown up in church. And it's true. There's true. There's nothing we can fill that spot with but God. And, and so, you know, we try to dabble in the world. We try to do things that we think, oh, that's harmless and all. But I, I'm just telling you, if you get to the point where you say, I, I'm not being weird about it. I'm not going to... Uh, ostracize everybody who doesn't think the way I do in the church, but I am on a quest to find the strongest commitment I can make to the Lord and live that out and do it with his help, but I'll give up whatever he asks me to give up. It, it, it becomes the new entertainment, if you will. Let me see what God will do if I'll give this up for him. Not to prove a point, not because we're like John the Baptist, we're going to go eat locusts and uh, wear weird things and live in the away from everybody, but we're doing it because what can I give up for the cause of Christ? And so, for, in, for, for example, again, what we decide as a family when it comes to Halloween is not to push off on other people, but we've decided this is what we can give up for God, and we're going to see what he will do with it. And he's done amazing things for us. He's done amazing things because what that did is it started a culture between us and our kids to where we could talk about big things like that, and they felt empowered to live their faith out for God as individual children of God, and it's just not because God, dad and mom said so. And my parents did good with that, but I've known a lot of uh, other pastors, I've known a lot of other Christians that they, they teach their kids, it's because I said so. You're gonna, while you're in my house, you're going to do this for God because we decided, look, God's given them a heart, a spirit. They don't get the junior Holy Spirit. You know, you don't get the supersized one and there's a junior Holy Spirit. They get the same Holy Spirit that we do. And so we believe that the Holy Spirit can speak to their hearts and they can have real conversation and put their two cents in and God will lead and guide that. And sometimes they blow us away with their thoughts. Sometimes we're convicted because of what the Holy Spirit spoke to them. And so th this is the thing. It's, it's not enough to just see what is allowable because it, it, it said in the scripture, there was a continual lust for more. It, it's like when you take the attitude of what I can get away with, there begins a continual lust for more. Why coming to Christ makes us new through and through. Verse 20, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 
Do you think there's a time that you do not need your mind renewed? I put Pastor Mike on the spot because he's done more years in ministry than I, uh, than I have. Um, 40, 30, well, I know 35 at one point, but what is it, 35, 40 or more years in ministry. Do you believe that there's any time that you have no use for your mind to be renewed? Never. The Word of God teaches us. Now, the problem is sometimes we, we get in this environment where we are vulnerable and we're challenged to change and, and God is putting other people in our lives who maybe have a different conviction than us and we aren't ready for our life to be changed that way and so we push back and say, well, that's good for them, not for me. But God's put us together. Why? So that we can be challenged by each other, be admonished, be built up, be encouraged. And so I should be seeing things in, in Sabe or in Devon or in Ray and Angie. I should be seeing things that say, hey, you know what? Our family could learn from what they're doing with the Lord. You know, we thought we had all together, but, you know, there's things that we may need to do differently. We look at that all the time. It's in the same breath that we talk about the fact that, hey, we don't have it all together. And when we get frustrated about maybe the way some other child is compared to ours, we're like, look, our kids do things too that other people see we don't, and we're not perfect. But at the same time, we should always be looking. Is there a way God can change us? We don't come to Christ through intellect or man's thinking. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. It's God's word that changes Second thing I want to just mention here, we are taught about him. Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Colossians 2, 6 through 7 says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. What were we taught? It's a two-step process. To put off our old way, when we receive his grace, salvation, put off our old weight and put on the new self. When we are baptized, we are saying to everyone, to ourselves, the old person is gone. The new is here. Like Mr. Miyagi, wax on, wax off, wax on. The old things have passed away and behold, new things, uh, all things have become new. Second Corinthians 5.17 uh, Romans 12.2 Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Colossians 3.5 Put to death, put to death, therefore, anything that, belong, uh, that belongs to your earthly nature. Dying to yourself daily. That's what Paul was talking about. Number three, we rely on the truth of Christ's thinking to change our lives into his image. Your old nature is being corrupted, which means to wither or spoil, like food in a refrigerator that no longer cools properly. This is the character of a new person. Verse 25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Do something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building of other, building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, 
brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. You know what we've learned with our children that we found is, is, is the same with adults. So uh, some time back when Tim, uh, some of you may remember Tim Paramata was doing our children's church, right? And at one time uh, before him, we had Tara uh, Colt, who she would always brag, your, your kids are great. Your kids are great. They're always doing great. They're doing great. And then there was this point where all of a sudden, sorry, boys, but we were getting these reports. I had to get on to your kids. They were going to sit out here in service. We're having, and we were like racking our brains. What is going on? What is going on? Why all of a sudden this change? Did the devil get in our house? What happened? You know, and that, but you know, we sat down and talked to, to our boys and found out that they're wanting to serve. They're bored. That's why. That's actually how they end up taking offering. And that's why we've offered to other kids. And we've learned something. You know that old adage: uh, "Idle hands are devil's playhouse." Many times, if we don't take the prompting of the Holy Spirit to act on what He's asking us to act, we become idle. And that's where trouble begins. In, in any church anywhere, you could probably talk to any pastor, and many times when people are idle, that's where trouble begins. Right? People that are busy at work for the kingdom, and I'm not talking about just physical labor or whether you're serving a class, but if you're busy at work for the kingdom in some way, then, then there's something about that, that that keeps you in the right direction when you do it for the Lord. But as soon as you become idle, trouble begins. So it's the snowball effect. What we're talking about, it's like if, if the Lord has spoke to us about the whole thing with Halloween and we said, yeah, you know, I don't know that that's the Lord. You know, I won the E.T. contest or, a suit, you know, in a suit and it was harmless as fun and I want my kids experiencing that. So I ignored what the Holy Spirit was speaking to me because it was clear to me that there was something being impressed on me to do. And I pushed back. I wonder, and, and you're going to think I'm crazy for making this, saying this, but I wonder if I'd be standing here right now if God would have still been able to bring me to this point or if my heart would have been turned against hearing his voice and obeying now I'm saying that one single thing but what happens is this pattern of when I when I don't fall through with what the Lord's doing when I don't confront those fears of what he's asking me to do when I sit idle when I step back you you hear what it's saying about those who they're involved in all kinds of immorality and, and things like that and then it turns around and talks about but you who have been changed. There's a renewing of your mind. There's action. There's something happening. When you're allowing God to change you, when you're allowing him to do a work in you, when you're sense of that and letting him do it, then it's almost like the enemy has a lot harder time messing with you. And so our challenge is this tonight, as I get ready to close, is this. You know, just recapping, uh, build instead of break is what I'm going to call this. Build instead of break. Put off falsehood. Speak truth, which was verse 25. Don't let anger control you. Verse 26, don't lose your temper. So number three, watch for footholds. Verse 27, uh, the result of not doing is in verse one and two. Four, live, a live the kind of lifestyle Christ is setting before you. Verse 28, don't make yourself overly dependent on others. Number five, speak helping words, not destructive words. Number six, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. When others, when we hurt others, it makes God, uh, it hurts God as well. Number seven, don't let the flesh poison relationships. 
get rid of or carry off or take away, the word is remove those things. Um, Bitterness, an embittered and resentful spirit uh, refuses reconciliation. Rage and anger, strong resentment because of something someone else has done. Um, Brawling, disputes and quarrels, all those things, slander, malice, those things are, are products of when our heart becomes idle. We're not listening to the Lord. We're not acting on what he's speaking to us. We get caught up in these things and they bring destruction. They bring uh, havoc into our relationships. So, so our goal is this, is being able to understand when God is speaking to you, when he's convicting you of something, to right then seize that moment and say, God, how would you have me apply this to my life? And follow through with it. Don't pass it off as something simple or, or trite, but God, if you're speaking this to me, then how can I live this out? I think about, I think about a, a couple of friends I've had that went to Bible college where um, they started out with great ministries, super talented, but, but some of those that I talked about that, that they were looking at what they could get away with in Bible college, the next thing you know, I see that they're not in ministry and they're not serving. That so, Somewhere along the way, they didn't learn the lesson that, listen, when the Holy Spirit gives you an opportunity to give up for the cause of Christ, don't look for what's permissive. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time tonight, Lord, to look at your word, to be challenged. And Lord, tonight, we shared a lot of our personal convictions about some things, but, but God, my, my hope is tonight, through your word, that, Lord, we're sensitive to the fact that you're trying to speak to us all the time about how to separate ourselves from the things that entangle us in this world, that keep us from being seen as someone who is living our life separate, who is living according to your word, who's an example. Lord, what other people see in us, would they point to us and say, that is, that is someone who is living out the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we pointing people to you, Lord? Are we willing not to give up anything? Our comforts, our desires, our culture, our, our, uh, our things that we thought were precious from, from our youth. Is everything on the chopping block, Lord, to be obedient to what your, your Holy Spirit is telling us to do? We just take a moment, Lord, and ask that you would speak to our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. But Lord, I ask that you give us the courage to, to be daring enough, Lord, to face our fears, to fly in the face of what even sometimes Christian culture may be pushing us towards, Lord, and, and say that, that as for me and my house, this is how we serve the Lord. This is what the conviction of the Holy Spirit has spoken to us. And let's live by our conviction, by our commitments to the Lord, not by our feelings. We just thank you for it and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys. And um, keep in mind, Saturday, women's brunch at 10 a.m. And if you have boxes or can get a hold of any to drop off here or future campus, just get a hold of me. 
Um, we love you. We'll be packing up soon. If you want to jump in on that, I think the ladies could use your help. So have a good night.